Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're going to be taking a look at the new Kristen Stewart, uh, TJ Miller film, Underwater. Uh, we're also going to look at 2018's American Animals, a heist film now available on HBO Go. We're going to talk about the Oscar nominees. Uh, we've got some news to get to before we get to all of it. We'll start with that news I was just talking about. And the first thing, the Oscars to go hostless again for t- for the 2020 ceremony on ABC. No host for two years at the Oscars, Andy. What is this about? Well, after last year's kind of host debacle when Kevin Hart had to drop out, and he dropped out so late they couldn't really find a replacement, and also no one really wanted the gig, um, they, they decided to go hostless and just have the presenters be different stars and actors, and uh, it was a big success. It helped move the show along, helped keep it to three hours, and the Oscars had a big uptick in viewership last year, which was had been kind of declining year over year. Of course, this is coming on the wake of the Golden Globes last week, which had Ricky Gervais as their fifth-time host, Ricky Gervais, uh, make some pretty inflammatory comments and actually got a lot of play on social media. A lot of people clicked. A lot of people watched. I think it was a big marketing push for the Golden Globes, and I think it worked brilliantly. How do you think the Academy is responding to that, if at all? I guess this is their response. Yeah, well, I mean, they want to be the kind of more sophisticated <laughs> film version of these these awards and you know a little pretentious i'm sure but they, they want to be above that they want to be a, a above that kind of humor and that kind of gag um and i think it's this is a smart move i think it'll move the show along faster and i think it you avoid a number of kind of pitfalls it's true uh, i think if you give uh potentially incriminating stars less screen time when they're presenting awards rather than hosting the whole thing it might be better i don't think it solves any widespread issue like kevin hart could easily just be like a small presenter this year and yeah he didn't host it but he still presented and somebody on the internet's gonna have a problem with that i guess the idea is that Whoever we have presenting just kind of gets lost in the wash with the awards and everything else, so there's nobody's name on the front of it, and and it all flies, right? That's the yeah, that's the and, deal. The, and, the, and there's always a risk of like, how is the host going to do? How political is he going to get? What are the jokes going to be like? And if you just don't have a host, then you just don't worry about it, and then you can actually have much more kind of you have the opportunity to be more diverse in in the presenters, and that's probably a good thing because then you know if one person's jokes flop then someone else can you know maybe do a lot better or just be more elegant in their presentation i think it's a better formula for success and it's less putting all your eggs in one hosting basket right so we should probably move on to our next story i think you're correct i don't really have anything more to say on it and honestly this next one's a little complicated so i want to make sure i was well read for it warner brothers signs a deal for an ai driven film management system this is an exclusive article out of the hollywood reporter they reported this last week i'll explain what's going on here because andy's still reading up on it because it's kind of <laughs> complicated so warner brothers has essentially decided to make a make a, a uh, official pact with a company called Cineletic. Cinelytic to use its project management system that was launched last year. This is similar to any other project management software, almost like Google Calendar, right? Except for movies. How this works is this software, like an accountant, would sit down and look at what stars are popular where, what trends are popular in which countries and which regions of the globe, and they would put together whether or not a script that's come across the table would work and speculate how much money it would make. So say Doctor Strange 3 is coming along and, and, uh, 
uh, it stars Benedict Cumberbatch, but Benedict Cumberbatch isn't really trending in China. Well, this would tell you, hey, we think this movie will make this much money if you release it here. It'll give you a widespread schedule of if you release it next to this movie or this movie, it'll make this much money. Of course, it's all ballpark, but it's an interesting thing to have to have artificial intelligence kind of producing these results. Is it that much different from actual people? We go to Andy, (laughs) our head web developer, to tell us what artificial intelligence is. Andy, please. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely a little skeptical about this. Uh, of course, analytics help, and they help you understand numbers and data, and that drives a lot of deci- decision making. But art is so un unquantifiable a lot of times, and you just never know. Like no one would have, th- no one thought that Joker was going to be the hit it was. No one thought that something like Aquaman was going to be the hit it was. And if you take something like, oh, let's see how Joaquin Phoenix is trending, he's not trending ever. Uh, up until Joker, he was not. He was trending as like the weird guy who you don't really know what his next movie is going to be. And his last film, which would have been um, You Were Never Really There, is a really gritty indie film that almost no one saw. So in some ways, I'm sure this will work for you know the generic. Uh, you know, January blockbusters that like we're going to be discussing today. There's some films that it will predict accurately and there's some things that it will totally miss, you know, something like, or and a lot of times you'll just miss great films that maybe they are not a hit, but we're happy to have great art, you know, something like, like the lighthouse or, <laughs> sure. or, or blade runner, 2049. Blade runner 2049, right. A movie that did not do well at the box office, but is still a great film. Uh, when asked for comment, Warner brothers said that really what this is going to help them with is bidding wars during festival season, right? When studios are getting caught over small movies and small scripts and they're suddenly throwing millions of dollars at them and they get all excited like, oh, this movie's going to be hit. Uh, the, 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 the movie in question here is Blinded by the Light, uh, that, that Bruce Springsteen kind of dance flick uh, that came out last year. We saw it on the show. New Line ended up buying that movie for $15 million, which, looking at the movie was not really worth it. Uh, this also might help with Warner Brothers misfires like Godzilla King of the Monsters or Shaft or a movie called The Kitchen, which I don't recall, but uh, that, that that's what they're saying will happen. Basically, this will help us narrow down bad movies that come out or movies that are mediocre. I think, like Andy, it will have the opposite effect. This will help narrow down good movies. There will be less great films. There will be more average films because averages are a better yeah, play it's, when it, it sounds comes to safe, money, yeah. right? Yeah, it's it's a zero-sum game. So, I don't know. Uh, something worth thinking about. You know, I, I worked a stint at the, the radio station for a couple years here in Dallas, and, and they had uh, computers picking out all the music. And anytime you listen to the radio and you wonder, why is it the same 10 songs over and over and over again? That's why. I don't think that's a good thing for movies. Uh, only time will tell, I guess. We'll see what happens to the wonderful Warner Brothers. And our last story, uh, Billie Eilish to sing the No Time to Die Bond title track for the new James Bond film, No Time to Die. Andy, you're a big Eilish fan. What do you know about this? That's right. Um, so, yes, it was confirmed today after some rumors that, that indeed 18-year-old singer-songwriter Billie Eilish will be writing or has actually written the the new theme song for the latest James Bond film No Time to Die which only comes out in a couple of months um she she joins studio greats such as uh Adele most recently and Tina Turner and Paul McCartney, Duran Duran, a bit a bunch of I mean it's a big deal to get to do the Bond uh, theme song and so she's gotten this opportunity and what does point this points to a larger kind of modernization of of bond we've seen that in kind of the direction the film was going to go in and now you're you're picking kind of like the hottest young kind of singer songwriter that's out there today it's going to be it's going to be really kind of speaking to 
uh, Zillennials or whatever we're calling Gen Z now. Zillennials, yeah. Uh, for anybody whose ears perked up when Andy said Duran Duran did a James Bond theme song, I didn't know that, and they did A View to Kill, in case you want to go look it up. I haven't watched it. I'm watching it after the show. I can't <laughs> wait to hear it. Uh, no, I, I, yeah, that, that's mentioned in here. Uh, the director, Kerry Joji Fukunaga of... Um, True Detective fame, of course, uh, and and it fame, uh, said there are chosen few who record a Bond theme, and and Billie Eilish has this great integrity and talent, and second to none, you know, just kind of generic PR speak. I I don't mind this. I really don't. I, I I don't think Eilish is particularly bad. I'm kind of excited to hear her spin on the new track. You know, I like I like Sam Smith's Skyfall track. Wait, Adele did Skyfall. Sam Smith did whatever Spectre. the last one was. Spectre. That's it. Good God. Uh, sorry, there's been two decades of Daniel Craig Bond films, 2009 to 2020. All right, give me three. Break. Three, three. I can't even keep up anymore. So <laughs> I, I'm into this. Uh, I know there will be some people out there who aren't so into it, but man, they're really they're really trying to scoop the, those young audiences, aren't they? They're really going for it. Billie Eilish did the track. It'll be neat. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big Billie Eilish fan, and one of the things that I like about her is that you all her songs are very different. You know, you, she just has a lot of different sounds. And so I don't really know what uh, she's kind of going to kind of be going after. Is it going to be like a ballad? Is it going to be kind of a a grungy rock thing? Um, So we'll see. And I'm, I think it's a great move. Yeah. I think it's a good move as well. And with that, we should move on to our first film of the episode. Andy has graciously agreed to take the summary on this. Andy, please take it away. Underwater. Listen carefully. You are now 5,000 miles from land, and you're descending seven miles to the bottom of the ocean. See you all in a month. Here we go. So Underwater is the latest sci-fi horror film directed by William Eubank and starring Kristen Stewart and TJ Miller as a, a group of divers, a kind of mining crew on a submerged station that is you know at the bottom of the ocean drilling for who 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 knows what the very beginning of the movie everything goes wrong the station is hit by an earthquake or some sort of event and half of the the station collapses and she has to run and save what crew members she can uh, at the end of when the dust settles there's a small crew left and they have to traverse the dangers of the bottom of the ocean including obviously drowning pressure oxygen uh this very unstable substation and they have to get to kind of these rescue pods and there's something maybe lurking out there in the dark as well um it also stars vincent cassell and newcomer uh, jessica henwick um and so that's our our setup zach what'd you think you know honestly i thought i didn't think much of this movie going in and maybe this is kind of where i went wrong or maybe right here I thought going in, this was going to be a goofy, fun, schlocky horror film that never really gets there and isn't all that good. Uh, I went and saw this movie on a Monday night with a friend. We were the only two in the theater. Uh, for having almost no expectations at all, I kind of had fun watching this movie. I kind of did. There, there's mm-hmm. some stuff in this movie that kind of works, and I think... Had it been handled better, it might have actually been a half-decent flick. It's not great. But it's not bad. Andy, what yeah. do you think? <laughs> uh, same. It, it was uh, what Mark Kermo describes as uh, an A-list B movie. Yeah. Where, where it's, yeah. You know, it, it's very predictable, very by-the-numbers sci-fi horror thing. And it's definitely uh, kind of, it's like Alien Underwater. Um, 
but it's it has good performances it has really good sets um it does succeed as as it more it succeeds more on the horror side than it does the 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 joke side cj miller is not real funny most of his jokes don't land <laughs> but it's it's just uh you get a good you get good perform good enough performances and the movie could have been more like with a better script you know you could have something like prometheus or like a more advanced sci-fi you could have had some themes and things and, and you don't really get to know the characters very much but it succeeds for what it is it's 90 minutes in and out you get some scares you get water and like the the set to me the production stuff was really kind of convincing because like you feel like claustrophobic and wet and cramped and all that stuff Yes, I, I think that might be the best place to start talking about this movie is the setting, the environment. Because going in, I thought to myself, surely this is not going to feel like I'm actually underwater. It's going to be like Ad Astra, right? Which is very obviously not in space. Like it's very, <laughs> very like very, I, I was not convinced by that movie. I know a lot of people were. I wasn't into it. But no, by about halfway through this movie, I, I was into the illusion. I, you know, I was like, okay, like it feels like there is pressure and claustrophobia around them and that everything is dripping wet and soaking wet and there's water all over the place. And like, yeah, for, for being a movie shot on dry land, I was pretty convinced. <laughs> uh, what do you think, Andy? I thought the interior sets were really good, you know, when everything kind of goes wrong and the, the sets, or not the sets, but like the environment, you know, the things start to cave in or start to leak or explode or get kind of crushed. All that stuff is, is really convincing and it looks like you're, it reminded me of, you know, Rapture from uh, Bioshock, Bioshock where they're just yeah. um, under underwater dripping everything's on the verge of falling apart. The things that don't really look convincing is when they're out kind of on the ocean floor. Like that, you can tell they're not really under, that doesn't look underwater at all. No, it's real CGI. Uh, um, so th- th- that's a little distracting because they, the characters kind of start to look like video game versions of themselves. Um, just cause they don't look like they're in water. They don't look like they're floating and that. And I'm sure would have been incredibly difficult to, um, to film. So the interiors look great. Exterior, not so much. Right. Uh, they also look like video game characters. Before we get to the plot, one more mention of the setting uh, because of the uh, absurd, sp- essentially, spacesuits they're required to wear. Being at the bottom of the Marianas Trench, right, which is 6.3 miles underwater, uh, according to this film, you've got to wear these, like, monstrous, almost like astronaut suits that almost come off looking like a, like a, like a video game character, like the Gears of War char- characters, actually, if anybody knows those movies. Um, and those suits are cool, dude. They're, like, actually cool in this movie. Like, they're all nuanced, and they're all, like, gritty. And I was like, somebody... Like, they really put some work into the costume design here. Set design yeah. and costume design, both tremendous. Both, both a, like, blockbuster quality, almost, for being such a claustrophobic kind of film. Yeah, they have these they're these big, bulky suits, and they have these cool helmets that have lots of lightings, and it's, like, strategic, and they have, like, radio, radio communications. Um, but they're they're hard to get into and out of. And like, you know, the suits play kind of another uh, kind of issue in the, in, in the story. Cause you know, everyone's got to have working suits, right? Everybody's got to have working oxygen and your helmet can't have any cracks or else it will implode because you are 6.3 miles underwater. And, and that really does play into the larger setting of the movie. Everything implodes, nothing, nothing explodes. Everything implodes because you're so far deep down and there's so much pressure that like, that's constantly, a worry you know what's the pressure like everything okay get into the depressurization chamber you're gonna get the bends if you go up too fast like mm-hmm. there's really that feeling of like james cameron's the abyss right a little bit of like water is the enemy um of course there's actually an enemy 
underwater that we need to talk about. But I guess that's where we should move into the plot. Uh-huh. So, the plot of this movie. Andy, you, you pretty much explained it in the open, but do you want to expound on that at all? Uh, I mean, there's not too much more of that. We don't really, unfortunately, we don't really get to know our characters too much. They do throw in some tragic backstories, uh, and Kristen Stewart gets a couple of good monologues. Uh, but... Uh, as far as our cast, we we have her. We have T.J. Miller, who is you know playing T.J. Miller, and he's kind of the uh, the comedic, um, the comic relief. Poorly, yes. I might add. Not real. Not I mean, the jokes are not good. Um, you weren't into, okay. Hold on. You you really weren't into the T.J. Miller stuff. Some of it, a, a, a couple of chuckles, but Let's, not not too yes. much. Let's be clear for anybody who doesn't know: this movie was shot in 2017. It didn't come out till 2020. It got pushed back because Disney bought 20th Century Fox. There was a whole thing there. So this is pre-bomb threat LA TJ Miller. This is pre-allegations and probably horrible things he actually did TJ Miller. This is like Silicon Valley season three TJ Miller. So like, <laughs> like he's not great, but like he's not bad. He, he's he's, he's comic like, yeah, relief, he, right? Yeah. Like he's, he's supposed to be the funny man in, in the horribly serious situation. And he does okay. Yeah. It was a kind of joke that wasn't funny with like three people in the theater. Like I saw it, but if you get a theater full of people, you'll probably get enough chuckles uh, to get by. Yes. Um, we also, like I said, we have Vincent Cassell. Um, what, is he, what has he been in? Because I, I recognize him. East, Eastern Promises is one of the... Okay. Eastern Promises. He was also in Westworld season three, right? And uh, Black he's Swan. Been a, yeah, he's been in a lot. He was the coach. Natalie Portman's coach in Black Swan. That guy. Yeah, he's good. So yeah, he's he's the captain. He's kind of leading them, uh, and like I said, they have a small cast of of people. And, and like uh, many horror movies, it's about who's going to survive and and who isn't, kind of along the way. Uh, and basically, they have to get from point A to point B, but but between that, they have to go across the ocean floor in suits that like are low on oxygen, and you know there's something else swimming out there, and you there's there's just danger around uh, every corner. Right, and they also have to bunny hop from kind of station to station and elevator to elevator or whatever to get more oxygen and, and, and make sure their suits are okay. So it's not just like one long walk. They've got to get out of this station they start in that's pretty much bombed and then kind of bunny hop from spot to spot along the ocean floor and making that journey and seeing kind of the wreckage around them and what's going on and then finding out maybe there's something down here with us. Oh, no. Uh, that's really the heart of the film is... is, is the A to B. That's your hero's journey, right? Yeah, and and again, I made the comparison to Alien, and part of what's so brilliant about that movie is that you you don't really ever see the Alien in, until the very end. You just you you know there they they choose to show you in small doses. Here you don't even see it for most of the whatever is out there. You don't see it. You just kind of hear it, and you can kind of see it in a little bit in shadow. And it's it it really adds to like the kind of mood of the movie. It does, and I think our, our our actors. I mean, they do they do a pretty good job of dealing what they've got to deal with, right? Like it it looks miserable to film on what I assume is a closed set, maybe maybe like a water set that they're on for a lot of it. Everything is dripping and cold, and and like they're constantly soaked and covered in grime and crawling through this like black murky water at the bottom. Like it just looks awful to film in. And, and uh, at least some of them seem to channel that into their performances. Kristen Stewart plays class- classic, miserable Kristen Stewart with the shave, <laughs> shave Ripley head. Good, good alien nod to that. 
Um, but she's a fine heroine. I, I don't mind Kristen Stewart. I really don't. And and TJ Miller, okay, he's he's really not that funny in this movie, but he provides he's the comic fine. relief necessary to decompress the scene. And then when things get nuts, right, obviously he's going to say something goofy and then jump scare. Um, and we should talk about jump scares because this movie has more than, than a few of them. Um, which are yeah, obnoxious. It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't have. Doesn't quite create the the mood that that it could. It definitely depends on a lot of, uh, you know, things jumping out at you to loud cues of music, as is classic among kind of smaller horror films, uh, and they're fine. Most of them I did, I did not jump. Most of them did not scare me, but a few of them did. Did, did there were some scares in there? Yeah, our our protagonist, um, our 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 monster in the deep, or whatever's going on here. Um, it's presented at first pretty, a lot like the alien and signs, right? You just kind of catch a glimpse of it or it's like a silhouette past a, past a window in the dark or something like somebody's flashlight under there, see something flash by, like you never really get a good look at it, but then like halfway through the movie, they just like show it to you and it's like, oh, okay. Like you, you lose that like big, that big moment when you're like, oh God, here's the scary thing. You know, it's just like, here it is. Um, which is kind of a bummer. And that's probably the first in a series of missteps. No, that's one of many, I should say, missteps this movie makes to not being as good as it could have been. Right. A- a- absolutely. And sorry, I was just looking up uh, TJ Miller's, what, see if he has anything coming up. He does not have anything coming up. This was his oh, man, last, last, last toxic, movie, which was, yeah. which was three years ago. So. Oh, God. Oops. Oh, God. Uh, well, that's not great. Um, yeah, this movie is really takes some missteps in presentation. And I, I know what you're thinking. You guys have said all these good things about it. There's only nine people in the cast. I counted at the end of the movie. It's a very small cast. It's a very intimate horror movie. It's very claustrophobic. What's not to love? Maybe it's like 21 Cloverfield Lane. The problem is that something happened in the editing for this movie. Something happened and they had to cut stuff out and they had to stop like cut off plot points in their tracks and there's little remnants of them left in there that make you think oh maybe something interesting is going to happen here and then nothing does there's this running theme throughout the movie of alice in wonderland yeah which yeah is real weird uh one of our characters carries around a white rabbit uh they have mounted on the back of their suit we're all mad here uh from alice in wonderland they quote the book a few times in the movie uh nothing ever comes of that that never yeah. like turns into anything. Uh, Kristen Stewart wears a necklace or a pendant of some sort from her fiance. Uh, you never get a look at it. A couple times she like grabs it when she's not feeling, but like you never see it. Uh, one of our characters has in the, what seems to be in the background some kind of like conspiracy theory, like detective with a map and red string tied up with tacks. <laughs> In, in, in one of their offices and never is it addressed in the movie. It's just completely skipped by. Like there's there's this there's these little running themes in here that could have been something but just never went anywhere. And that happens like a handful of times in the movie and I don't know why. Yeah, so it reminds me, like I said, I, I was reminded of the Alien franchise and, and Prometheus in that uh, while Prometheus has a lot of problems it does try to be this kind of philosophical you know questions about humanity and life and like there, there's like sci-fi themes and that's what this movie is kind of really missing like it it is exactly as we've described it these nine people trying to escape there's like you don't really get to know any of the characters who aren't Kristen Stewart there's no kind of other themes or or meanings developed in in any kind of way but it's also not that kind of movie it's just it's a scary 
underwater movie. It's cheap sci-fi horror. It was probably made on a budget. It's probably going to make its money back. It is. And and what's weird is it feels to me like it was supposed to be more. You know, there's this kind of... Uh, there's this running theme in the movie of when you're that far underwater, you start to experience neurological symptoms that haven't been tested yet. You start to see things. You start to imagine things and, 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 and see visions, you know? That never really comes up. It's like it's like planted at the beginning of the movie, like, oh, maybe this will be an interesting thing, and then it never turns into anything. Um, in one scene, there's a large mural of a great ocean beast that never really comes around. But then when you get to the end of the movie and you start figuring out what's going on underwater, maybe it kind of feels relevant or maybe it wasn't supposed to be at all. But either way, why is there a giant ancient mural in an oil rig underwater? Like it doesn't make any sense. Like this movie, <laughs> just it, it's like, it's like there's a good version of this movie somewhere out there. That's like a half hour longer and either they didn't film it or they ran out of money or, or they just ran out of time editing it and they just didn't care. But it came, mm-hmm. it comes off as just a fun, goofy a-list B movie. It has everything that should make it great, but it doesn't get over the line. Yeah, so I was just looking at some numbers. So it's definitely the reason it looks so good is because they did put some serious money behind this. This was made for $50 million. Not, I thought this was like a $5 million film. Definitely not. And it's definitely probably not going to make that back then. It's only up to about $15 million worldwide. Uh, so maybe because T.J. Miller is in it or maybe some other, uh, you know, maybe because it was shelved in the... Uh, the the Disney Fox merger, but it's um, now we know why it looks so great. It's because they cost a lot of money. Probably not going to make its money back. No, and and you know what was so strange watching this? Um, if this movie was made by Paramount Pictures, it's made by 20th Century Fox, which is now Disney. But if it was made by Paramount and it didn't star T.J. Miller and John Gallagher, who have both been formerly in Cloverfield films, this could have been a Cloverfield movie. It checks every box to be a Cloverfield movie. Weird monster, nobody understands. Claustrophobic setting, how are we going to get out of here? What are we going to do? Why is this happening to us? Like, it totally could have been a Cloverfield movie, but it isn't. It just isn't, and I don't, like, I don't understand. And maybe if it had been part of something larger, it would have lasted longer, but ultimately, I think this movie has some redeeming things that are just going to be forgotten over time, because nobody's going to see it, and the people that did see it, like you and I, aren't going to remember it a year from now. It's a bummer. Yeah. It, yeah, it reminds me, what was it, the Cloverfield Paradox, whatever came out right after the Super Bowl that one time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Like, well, I, I mean, know. that was like a non-Cloverfield movie that they Netflix bought when just slapped a Cloverfield thing and changed a couple of scenes to this, add it in. And it, yeah, they definitely could have made some of this, but this feels like, you know, it, it's just uh, collateral damage from the I, <laughs> from the merger. I would argue this movie in a small way sets up for a sequel at the end Mm -hmm. and they'll never make it. But like, it it just feels like there was supposed to be a A little bit like, yeah, a little bit more substance. They put money into this. Like there was something here and it just didn't happen. And now we just have like this kind of shell of a half decent movie and that's underwater. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, we, we get a really great B movie that we have impressive sets and performances and some good scares. Um, yeah, unfortunately they're going to lose a lot of money, but if, uh, you know, if you want to get some, to get into some horror, <laughs> um, at the beginning of the year, it's definitely there. Definitely yeah. an option. I, I, I've seen so much worse January horror than this. Like I've seen so many worse B movies than this. Um, this is one of the better I've seen in a long time and it's not great and it's got problems, but like overall, man, I, I heavy thoughts about this one. So Andy, are you ready for recommendations? I am. Would you recommend Underwater? 
Yeah, I think I, I would because it was it was a, it was fun for what it was. It's you know it's sci-fi horror. It's it's a short movie. It's only ninety minutes. Um, you get some scares. You get some laughs. You there are really impressive sets, and you also get that, that feeling of dread and claustrophobia and you know fear of drowning kind of. Uh, all those things wrapped up and there's potential for a really good movie here. It's, you get an okay movie, but it's, you know, it's good for an, a matinee, th- that kind of thing. Definitely watch it on streaming. Yeah. I, I think I'm in the same boat. Like I don't dislike this movie. I actually liked it a lot more than I thought I would. I've gone and seen B movies in the last couple of years for this show that were not as good as I thought they would be. I had high hopes for something like Stuber. I had low hopes for something like uh, Hobbs and Shaw, right? Fast and Furious presents this movie comes out of left field and I think is better than both of those. They're different, but this one's just exciting and fun. And, and there's just a little, there's a little, breadcrumbs along the way of something that could have been great and if you if you keep an eye out for them I think you'll have a fun time watching it just like I did so underwater not that bad really not that bad at all um, <laughs> and with that we should move on of course to our next segment uh, Andy you're the Oscar man you want to you want to uh, take this one Oscar nominees <laughs> So the 2019 Oscars w- were announced on Monday, very early. They announced them at 5.30 in the morning so that they can be broadcast at 8.30 on the East Coast. Um, and we have some surprises, some not surprises, and some things to fur our brows and things to complain about. And we're ready for our uh, hot takes. So, Zach, why don't you start and read us off the list of best picture, and then we can talk about it. Man, I'm going to complain so good. You're not even ready. You don't even <laughs> know. Uh, okay, here we go. Uh, we're going to start with, of course, best picture. The top of the pops, the best pictures of the year in the Academy Awards. There are up to 10 nominees. Not required, though. This year, there are nine. Our nominees were best picture 2020 or is it 2019 Academy Awards? 2019. 2019. Uh, Ford v. Ferrari, uh, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Parasite. Uh, nine tremendous films from last year. Andy, hot takes before I give you my opinion. Well, uh, I, before I get into it, I want to remind our audience that. Uh, like any other award show, the Oscars are very, they're political, there's business, there's corporate, there's lots behind it. This is anything but a meritocracy. And we're going to talk about what some of those uh, issues are. Um, I, I feel like there are movies on this list that don't deserve to be on here. And then there's others that do. Uh, one of the, the big snubs that people have talked about is is Uncut Gems. Um, and also things like uh, The Farewell, even. Uh, I don't think Ford. I think Ford versus Ferrari is a little overrated. I think Marriage Story is a little overrated. I have not seen Jojo Rabbit, and part of the way I measure my pretentiousness in film is how many of the Best Picture noms I've seen before they announce them, which I have seen eight of nine. Um, it's true. So I'm pretty pr- proud of that. And and I've heard mixed things about Jojo Rabbit. I've heard high praise and total damnation. Like uh, Robbie Collin, who sits in for Mark Kermode, um, completely, I mean, went on a rant on Jojo Rabbit, um, which I I haven't seen it, so I can't judge yet. But um, yeah, I would have liked to, our big problem here is going to be diversity, but it is great to see Parasite on there and uh, Little Women as well. I'm in the same boat. I don't think I've ever seen this many of the best picture noms. I'm disappointed we didn't see Jojo Rabbit. Uh, 
not to point fingers or anything, but one of two off-script hosts wanted to see it, and we'll leave it at that. <laughs> uh, so it's fine. We probably will see it at some point, at least for... I, I, I would like to watch it and cover it, considering it's on here. Same. I'm surprised. I, I guess I'm not too surprised that Farewell isn't on here. I'm a little surprised Uncut Gems isn't. Um, watching it last week, it really is something. It stands out in a way that... I, I loved Ford v. Ferrari. It's one of my favorite films last year. I'm surprised to see Ford v. Ferrari on here and not Uncut Gems. Um Uncut yeah. Gems was a stressful pick, but I went and saw it with a buddy of mine, and and he told me when he saw it wasn't on here. He said it great. He said, uh, "What did he say?" He said, "Here I go." Just can't even get it out. He said, "You know, when people go to the like a video store or like get on Netflix and they go scrolling through what they're gonna watch and they see Academy Award nominated film." uncut gems he said that shouldn't be the precursor for people to watch that movie they need to know what they're getting into and like maybe the academy did people a favor because that movie is stressful <laughs> as all get out and they don't know what's happening and i was like okay that might be fair but well big surprise it, yeah well and it's also important to say that there's this whole new york la rivalry that goes on like the you know the oscars are definitely an la thing hollywood and uh, you know uh uncut gems is a new york story things like Hustlers is a New York story so that there's part of that. And there's also this kind of wholesomeness that the Oscars want to try and, and, and embrace. Uh, if you look at most of these stories aside from this, something like Joker, but it's, uh, it's a certain kind of film they're after and kind of degenerate protagonists like Howard Ratner and Uncut gems doesn't really fit that mold. Unfortunately. What do you think is going to take it? You know, you know call, um, call one out here. No, I don't want to try and predict what okay. the. I don't want to try and yeah. predict what other people think. I, we're not. I've, we're not in the prediction game. That's fair. Uh, right. Your favorite, I guess. Yeah, from that would be Parasite. Yeah, I agree. I, I would hope Parasite takes it. I doubt it will. I'm sure <laughs> mm-hmm. it will take Best Foreign Film if it's nominated right. over there. But we'll get to that and, and see. Right, and there's a, one of the big issues is, is things like the farewell. What isn't on there? But it, you know, there's things like, you know. Scorsese gets a pass no matter what. Tarantino gets a pass no matter what. And while I do think The Irishman is a great film, I'm. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is debatable to me and could be other things could have taken it place. Yeah, there's no better indicator of like Hollywood loving itself than this and La La Land both being nominated. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I'm telling, it's a real thing. Anyway, we should move on to actors in a leading role. And you want to take this one or should I? Uh, I got it. Uh, Antonio Banderas in Pain and Glory, which I have not seen. Uh, if it's a foreign film, Leonardo DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Adam Driver for Marriage Story, Joaquin Phoenix and Joker, and Jonathan Price in The Two Popes. Hot takes. Hot takes. Uh, I'm excited to see the dad from Spy Kids 2 nominated for an Academy Award. Uh, I didn't see Pain and Glory. It might be. Okay, you didn't have to laugh, but I was hoping a little bit of a chuckle at that, Andy. It's fine. Uh, I haven't seen Pain and Glory, but considering how many times it's nominated, it seems like something maybe we should. My favorite is Adam Driver. He is my beautiful boy. He probably won't win, but like maybe. Uh, And I think this is where we start to see how telling it is that Joker has 11 noms, the most of any film. Uh, best picture and best actor we're going to see more of it so far so impressed yeah i would the big not surprised but i i would kind of put this between adam driver and and walking phoenix um walking phoenix did win the the golden globe so he could be up and there's things like you know he kind of gave a weird speech so people may not want him to to be to win it like there's all there's all this political stuff that happens behind the scenes so i don't that's why i don't like to try and predict it of these performances which i, I haven't seen the two popes or pain and glory but uh definitely i think adam driver would be great to see him win it but also walking phoenix is like everyone's behind this joker movie and it's so interesting to see 
how much people weren't behind it when it before it came out. There was this whole like Twitter thing in the media about like, is this film dangerous? Blah blah blah. Is it going to cause a mass shooting? And now it's everyone's like golden child all of a sudden. It's crazy, dude. I talk I talk some mad stuff about Joker. I I did not think much of this movie. I'll I'll own that all day. You can go back and listen to old podcast episodes. And I was like, ooh, the director of The Hangover is making a comic book movie. It's gonna oh, be I remember. Great. And yeah, here I am. So you know, eating my words. But I'm still hoping for Adam Driver. Actress in a leading role. Our nominees this year are Cynthia Erivo for Harriet. I think that's how you say her name. Scarlett Johansson for Marriage Story. Saoirse Ronan for Little Women. Charlize Theron for Bombshell. And Renee Zellweger for Judy. Andy, please, hot takes. Um, well, this is another category that it feels like a lot of people were snubbed. Uh, Jennifer Lopez, there was talk about her getting, uh, well, I guess I would have been supporting role. Um, so never mind about that. But yeah. Uh, we'll get to that. But Lupita Nyong'o definitely as leading role, I think, for uh, us left out. And uh, from what I've I've heard, Renee Zellweger is going to take this home for Judy. Apparently, it's an incredible performance. Um, Saoirse Ronan is good. Scarlett Johansson is, is good. I'm surprised to see Bombshell on here because I feel like no one saw Bombshell. I feel like it was this thing that was supposed to be a big deal and then just what really wasn't. Yeah, me too. And I wonder how much uh, Charlize Theron's like... Uh, kind of heavy makeup contributed to that nomination because she looks a lot like Megan Kelly in that film. They, they, they kind of pulled off a little tricks to make her look that way. And maybe that helps sell it. I don't know. But uh, either way, I'm, I'm definitely surprised to see uh, her on here too. Not that it wasn't a good performance. I didn't see the movie. Maybe it was. Maybe I'm totally wrong. But she is the one on here that's in like very heavy makeup. Everybody else is kind of, it seems very... Uh, what am, what, am, what am I trying to get out here? Ne- next category. I'm out. I'm pulling, the, I'm pulling the shoot on that one. I don't I don't want to know. Yeah, it's fine. Actor in a supporting role. Uh, yeah. Tom Hanks for A Beautiful Day in the, Na- in the Neighborhood. Anthony Hopkins for The Two Popes. Al Pacino in The Irishman. Joe Pesci for The Irishman. And Brad Pitt for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Hot takes. Uh, I'm surprised that Robert De Niro did not get nominated for The Irishman, considering his two co-stars did, both from the same film, uh, in fact. The the snubbery. Anthony Hopkins didn't see the two popes, uh, but it's worth mentioning that both popes have been nominated here, uh, so that's, I mean, it must be pretty good. Al Pacino and Joe Pesci, people said Joe Pesci's performance was nuanced and subtle, I would lean more towards somebody like Pacino. I thought he really gave it a lot more. Pesci is good, but he's also tired. And if my if I had a favorite out of all of this, it might be Brad Pitt for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because, damn, is he charming in that movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I would lean towards Al Pacino between the, the two Irishman uh, nominations. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I w- it would be great to see Brad Pitt win it. Um, I, I think someone else I – didn't, I didn't see A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. I'm sure Tom Hanks is fine. Um Moving on. Uh, just like the last segment when I read Best Actress in a Lead Role, if you listen closely, you can almost hear me putting my foot in my mouth. The Best Actress in a Supporting Role this year goes to Kathy Bates uh, for Richard Jewell, Laura Dern for Marriage Story, Scarlett Johansson for Jojo Rabbit, Florence Pugh for Little Women, and Margot Robbie for Bombshell. Andy, I got to know what you think of this list because I got, I got thoughts. <laughs> Oh, again, so this is the one that's more problematic because, again, Scarlett Johansson has gotten a second nomination. Um, and, again, there were talk that, that um, Jennifer Lopez was going to get a nomination in this category for Hustlers. And, again, there, there's this weird kind of sexism where uh, we don't want to see a, cr- a crime film with, with women kind of using their sex appeal and their body to, to hustle. But 
in the Irishman, we have people, Robert De Niro killing everyone and that's fine. Yeah. Uh, so there's like, again, there's a certain cleanliness that the Oscars want to be right. And it reminds me of something like shame uh, from 2011, Steve McQueen film starring Michael Fassbender, where he plays a sex addict, incredible performance. Oscars didn't want to have anything to do with it. Um, this, this is a great li- list though, as far as uh, Florence Pugh was great in little women, Laura Dern and marriage story. I, again, bombshell being on here. It's questionable. I, and I, and I haven't seen Jojo rabbit or, um, Richard Jewell. Right. I have not seen Richard Jewell or Bombshell or Jojo Rabbit, so I don't have many comments on those. Laura Dern is tremendous in Marriage Story. I actually love her character in that movie. Uh, Florence Pugh is a little surprising to see for Little Women for me, but it's worth mentioning. She rolled off the set of Midsummer and rolled straight into Little Women. Like, there was no time in between. So, if anything, when I see her supported for or nominated for Best Actress in a Supporting Role, I try to look at the broader spectrum. It's not just that she was this character in Little Women, it's that she was so much the polar opposite character, like the day before, and you have to be able to turn that on a dime, and that's worth mentioning for an actress. Scarlett Johansson, Johansson, I'm surprised to see her on the list twice for Best Actress in Supporting and Best Actress. I'm a little concerned, and I wonder if her agent or whoever is concerned too, if she wins both, is she just going to become, like, the white woman heretic of, of the Oscars forever? That, like, imagine that, if she wins both. Like, oh, my that God. Would be, that would actually be really bad. I don't know. There, there would be some crazy backlash. Twitter would have hot takes. Uh, but, hey, you know what? It's not easy to get nominated once. It's not easy to get nominated twice. And it's not easy to do it in the same year. That's huge. And yeah, that's, it, worth, that's worth celebrating. And strangely enough, this is her first time actually ever being nominated. Mm-hmm. Despite her like twenty year film film career, yeah, twice uh, for two different movies, crazy. Moving on to animated f- uh, feature film, we have How to Train Your Dragon: The Hidden World, the third in the series. Uh, I lost my body, which is on Netflix right now. Klaus, Klaus, um, uh, the Netflix Christmas uh, tale that I heard a lot of good things about. Missing Link, Leica getting on the board. Um, and then finally, to- Toy Story 4. Big absence, no Frozen 2. No Frozen 2. Ooh, the cold shoulder to Disney. The House of Mouse. Of course, they landed Toy Story 4, and that's worth mentioning. Uh, the Golden Globes had Frozen 2 nominated and The Lion King both big noms, neither appear here. Uh, instead, our Christmas film, or our, our snow-themed film, is Klaus, a very small, hand-animated, lovingly crafted Netflix film that is available to watch now. That movie is crazy cool, dude. I watched it twice, over the holidays. It's really good. You should check it out. I, I They are my favorite. I also love Missing Link. Uh, Disney and DreamWorks are great, but come on, they win every year. Let's let's. I want to see it. I want to see a shakeup, and I haven't seen. It, I lost my body, so I don't know. What do you mm-hmm. think, Katie? Uh, yeah, again, it's surprising that Frozen wasn't on there. Uh, not a lot of Netflix here, and not only in this category, the entire Oscars, which is funny because at the Golden Globes, it would seem like Netflix was getting shunned, and now they're. I mean, they're leading the. They have a ton of nominations in in all the categories. Um, of this list, um, yeah, like I said, I'm really surprised. I need to see more more of these. Uh, Toy Story 4 was fine. It'll probably win. Uh, but I would like to see some of these. Other, like, I haven't seen the two Netflix ones, I Lost My Body and, and Klaus. Uh, we should move on to our next category, Cinematography. Uh, an interesting change-up here. Our nominees are The Irishman, Joker, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and The Lighthouse. 
The Robert Eggers. <laughs> yes, finally. The, oh, the light, snap. The Lighthouse is one of the big snubs of this award season. And, you know, it didn't do well. I don't, I don't think it just caught. It didn't catch on. Didn't find an audience. And that has a lot to do with it because that was definitely, A, one of the best films of the year and B, one of the best performances from both Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. And they are nowhere near any of those acting awards. So it's a real, it's a real shame. Um, but th- the rest of these... Uh, I mean, real respectable films. It'll be hard to see who it goes to. Roger Deakins, of course, nominated again for 1917. Uh, so we'll see. Yeah, we'll have to see. And and my favorite here is The Lighthouse. Uh, it's tough for me not to think that one's the best. Roger Deakins makes a real compelling argument with 1917, though. That whole one-shot thing, and Deakins has had a long and storied career, and he is well worth his due. But the lighthouse was shot on lenses from, like, the early 1900s, man. And it was shot in some whack format that's not even 4x3 because they were like, we want it to be so genuine and legit. And that black and white, man, just peels off the screen. Like, it's such a cool-looking movie. And and I think they're both tremendous. These other ones are neat but don't deserve a place uh, amongst the top. I don't think it's going to go to one of those two movies for sure. We should talk about costume design. Should we skip costume design? Yeah, I I wanted to go ahead and jump to directing. Jump to directing. All right. Do you mind if I... Or no, I took took cinematography. Please, directing is yours. Directing is definitely one of the biggest awards here. And so we have uh, Martin Scorsese for The Irishman, Todd Phillips for Joker, Sam Mendes for 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with Quentin Tarantino, and... A rare first, uh, Bong Joon-ho for Parasite, with the first South Korean director being nominated in the directing category, but also a big absence of uh, Greta Gerwig for, you know, there are no female um, directors nominated in this category. Zach, hot takes. I, you know, I guess I'm not surprised. <laughs> I think this was I think this was kind of exactly what we thought it was going to be, right? Like you said at the top, Martin Scorsese and Tarantino are going to get big love always, right? Everybody loves them. And this is Scorsese's last big mob movie, so of course it's three hours and there's a lot of de-aging. We got to nominate him. Todd Phillips, glad to see him, I guess. Welcome home. You've done it. Sam Mendes, hey, you put out some classic films, man. You put out some good stuff, and I love you. But, oh my God, that Parasite. Oh, Parasite. And I, I, I and I love it and I'm not sure it's gonna win, but that is that is my pick for favorite direction, man. Parasite, Bong Joon Ho has a rhythm and a and a tone to that film that is so perfect. It works out so great, I love it. Mm-hmm. So it, it'll be interesting. Like I said, that there's a big diversity issue with the Oscars, which we can get into a little bit more later. But uh, there was only one female director uh, nominated for Best Picture. Uh, Greta Gerwig for Little Women, and you know she didn't make the cut for directing, and I de- definitely think she deserved to be on here with the rest of these. Um, in my opinion, you could cut t- you could cut Tarantino and and or Todd Phillips out of this list. Yeah. No, next I guess I'm next up, right? Uh, uh, documentary. Yeah. That's I a- I didn't see any of these movies, so I don't. Uh, <laughs> documentary. Let's jump into it. Uh, American Factory, uh, the Netflix film uh, put out by the Obamas, right? Uh, the Cave, The Edge of Democracy, For Sama, and Honeyland. Five movies I did not see and pretty much have no opinions on. But Andy, I'm curious to hear what you've got to say. So I've, I've, I've seen trailers for some of these. I have American Factory is the, the film uh, that actually President Obama made. Um, about kind of differences between, you know, American and Chinese manufacturing. Uh, I haven't seen it. Uh, I have heard of Forsama. I have not seen it. I've heard of Honeyland because I have a friend who's really, who raises bees and this is a bee documentary. It's about this old woman who like, she does beekeeping in, in like the side of a mountain and 
there's more to it than just that, but it's it's apparently you know a really deep thing. These other two I, I have not seen. Mm. Well, next up, what do you want to talk about? Um, international feature film. So this is a somewhat new category. It used to be called uh, foreign language film. It is now called international feature film. Um, we have Corpus Christi from Poland, Honeyland uh, from North Macedonia, and uh, again, that's the documentary as well. Uh, Les Miserables from France, a, yet another adaptation of that work. Uh, Pain and Glory from Spain, and Parasite, for, of course, from South Korea. Uh, my favorite's Parasite. <laughs> I wish I could say it's anything else, but I haven't seen anything else. And also, <laughs> I still think Parasite should be the best film of the year. Give that movie all the awards. Yeah, twenty nineteen goes to Parasite. You can have well, it. and and that's what's interesting. Like if if Parasite, let's say you give Pain and Glory or international feature film to pain and glory. So that way parasite could win best, best film or I mean that it's that kind of switching that you have to start, uh, kind, kind of doing, um, I'm going to jump to, uh, original score. Okay. Um, we have, uh, Joker, one of my favorite scores of the year, uh, by Hildor Guanaditor, uh, who, who's Icelandic. Uh, and it was funny. I was listening to a podcast and they also had trouble with the name. So it's not just me. Uh, Little Women, uh, Alexander Desplat, great score there. Marriage Story, Randy Newman. I'm really surprised by that because I can not remember the score for I'm that at all. I'm shocked by that. Yeah. I, f- I feel like there was not really much going on. But uh, 1917, uh, Thomas Newman, I thought that was a fantastic score, really added to, to the mood. And of course, Star Wars, Rise of Skywalker, whatever, whatever. You know what? I, <laughs> John Williams, say his name. He, Give him okay, his credit. Te- all right. He's, te- he's made nine of these movies. Tell me. I was it, not not only was I disappointed at that film uh, we got new music in both The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi we get some really good tracks near the end yes we, I feel like we didn't really get any new memorable but, music in this last film but there's film. reprises Andy which oh, is God. just as good and worth an Oscar nomination yes I'm surprised to see Star Wars on here I'm surprised to see Randy Newman on here for Marriage Story I don't know who the hell he knows in the Academy that nominated him but uh, 1917 by Thomas Newman. Uh, I assume Randy Newman's younger, smarter brother. Uh, Little Women uh, and Joker all put out great tracks. My pick is probably going to be Joker. And I've heard it said that Uncut Gems might have gotten a little bit of a snub here, which I would normally disagree with. Uncut Gems has a really cool soundtrack that I like a lot. But seeing Star Wars Episode Nine and Marriage Story on here, yeah, maybe it did, honestly. Mm-hmm. Hot takes. Hot takes. That's what I'm giving out. Um, next, uh, original song. So we have another one from Toy Story 4, I Can't Let You Throw Yourself Away. Um, I'm Gonna Love Me Again from Rocket Man, which was by Elton John. Uh, I'm Standing With You from Breakthrough, which I think, uh, I actually don't want to talk about that movie at all. Stand Up from Harriet. <laughs> Whoa, hold on. Why? <laughs> What's wrong with, hold on, I don't know anything about this. Look, look, look up that what that movie okay, is. Okay, I'll uh, look it up. And Into the Unknown from Frozen 2. So this is where Frozen does kind of show up, and it's probably uh, definitely going to win um, from there. All right. I see I see what's going on with, with Breakthrough. <laughs> it is a, a, a kind of a Christian exploitation kind of movie. That's that's what's going on there. Stars Topher Grace. Uh, again, why is Randy Newman on this list? What, what's going on here? Why is he on here twice? Like, what's happening? Do you know why he's on there? Because he wrote You Got a Friend in Me 25 years ago. That's, that's why right. he's on yeah. it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I would think the two big ones here are going to be Rocket Man, only because that got a lot of love on uh, the Golden Globes. Into the Unknown is is a popular one, and I haven't heard the Harriet track. Um, I don't know if Spotify plays matter at all. 
I mean, probably not. I doubt the Academy really cares. Like, well, here's how many plays it got on Spotify. But you don't know what those people are listening to when they're not in voting on awards. You don't know what their kids are listening to. And I would imagine those two tracks, Rocket Man and Frozen 2, are getting a lot of love. So they probably heard them a lot. They probably get a lot of play. Those mm-hmm. are the two, two big ones, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to jump down to visual effects. So this is the, I think, the only nomination for Marvel uh, Avengers Endgame. Uh, the Irishman also nominated. The Lion King, 1917, and Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker. Well, I guess it's fine. The Lion King finally gets a nomination. Uh, 1917 does okay at the the stringing shots together to make it seem cohesive. I don't think it's great though. Star Wars turns out some pretty great. Pretty great visuals. Same with yeah. Avengers Endgame. Like, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely. Which which is... I'm not sure why the Irishman is on here, because I don't know... Everything looks so real. I don't know where the... Other than the... de I guess it's de-aging. Which, like we said, you can de-age their face. You can't de-age their, their body and their movement. <laughs> You're exactly right. Uh, one more. Writing for original screenplay? Yeah. Mind if I, all right. Uh, we've got Knives Out by Ryan Johnson, the the murder whodunit marriage story, Noah Baumbach. 1917, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Parasite. Real strong writing category. Real yeah. strong writing category. I love seeing Knives Out uh, on this list. I was a big, big fan of that movie. And there's a lot of there's a lot of Last Jedi, Jedi haters who wanted to hate this movie as well, and it's just doing fantastic. Mm-hmm. So you got any favorites? Uh, d- definitely Knives Out and Parasite uh, behind that. Uh, those really stand out. 1917. Again, Tarantino's on here just because he's Tarantino. I mean, the, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is fine. It's just the longer I get away from that movie, the less I like it. Let it be said that in 2019, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood got like six nominations. I have many on here. And off script has announced everyone. <laughs> uh, I, I thought Knives Out was very smart. Uh, I think... Parasite's obviously very good. I think a lot of those movies, 1917, Once Upon a Time, solid. Here's the thing, though. Marriage Story is white people in Los Angeles talking in rooms. And I think that's probably worth an Oscar, or at least the Academy. Oh, gosh, yeah. um, Because that's a whole lot of what's happening in that movie. It's people talking in rooms. It's talking heads. And when it comes to writing, usually it's got to be pretty tight. I think it could have been tighter, though. My my favorites are going to be Parasite and the hopeful Knives Out. That's what I'll throw at that. Yeah, but, yeah. This is probably one of the first times that a foreign film has also been uh, nominated in the original screenplay because it's it's hard to break in. Yeah, it really is. There's a lot of love for South Korean film in here, honestly, with Parasite, like a surprising amount that, that hasn't been present before. Bong Joon Ho's putting out some really good work. Parasite is my favorite. Andy, uh, if there's anything that's going to sweep the 2019 Oscars, what's it going to be? I mean, it could be it could be Joker. That um, it's gotten a lot of strange love after after a really controversial launch and following, but it was it made so much money. It was in kind of the zeitgeist of film for for a while there. Um, it, it could take it could take everything. Um, and, and and again, this is a comic book film we're talking about here, uh, and it's really sad because the you know ten twelve years ago the uh, the Dark Knight did not get nominated, and that's actually what spurred the uh, the best picture category to be to get opened up wider but but comic book films have definitely come a long way um and it's also kind of uh, a slight again maybe snubbing of marvel because this is again one of the first times that uh a comic book film has a real chance at winning uh best picture yeah but it could it could sorry it could also go all netflix you know there's a lot of love for the irishman and marriage story as well a lot of netflix loving there you're right well 
We'll have to see what happens, I guess. My hopefuls are Parasite, of course. I think Joker's going to get a lot of play. Um, Hopefully, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood doesn't move too many needles, and I hope Little Women gets its due. I know a lot of people have been complaining about Greta Gerwig on Twitter not getting a Best Director nod, so we'll see. Only time will tell. I'm glad Frozen 2's not on this list. Anyway, we should move on to our final film. My God, there's a lot of not, there's a lot of categories in the Oscars. Yeah, there uh, are. I'm going to take the summary on this one. The movie is American Animals. This library is home to the most valuable book in the United States. $12 million. You really need to see how easy this is going to be. Oh, you know this from all your previous heists? Animals is available on HBO before I jump into this a small disclaimer. Uh, American Animals is a heist film and everybody loves a good heist movie, right? It's a movie set in 2004 and it's based on a true story or at least it claims to not be based on a true story but actually be a true story. It's mm-hmm. big claim in the trailer is this isn't based on a true story, this happened. It repeats again at the beginning of the film to let you know. American Animals is the story of four college students in Kentucky who stumble upon a very expensive collection of books in the special special reading section of the Transylvania University Library in Kentucky. Transylvania University is in Kentucky. That's just the way it is. Uh, they realize that these books are worth upwards of $12 million. And one of them, who's got a fancy for, you know, kind of stealing things or rebelling against the system, realizes uh, through talking to a couple of people that he could locate a fence that would buy these books if they had them. And the only thing standing in between them and these books are a couple of locked glass cases and an old librarian who sits in front of the special collections room. That's it. It's the easiest heist in the world. <laughs> so they start thinking about it and talking about it. And before they know it, they're drawing blueprints and they're getting a getaway driver. And you're on your way to having one of the biggest heists in U.S. history pulled off by four college students who don't really know what they're doing. Um, <laughs> yeah, yes. What's so fascinating about this movie, besides the smart humor uh, present with uh, Evan Peters and Barry Cohen, Kean? Kean. I don't remember. Keon, God, I'm going to keep doing that. Uh, Evan Peters and Barry Keon, who are the two kind of leads, uh, is this movie is intercut with essentially documentary interviews of the people who actually did this. The four men who pulled off this heist are featured in this film in documentary style. Their parents Mm -hmm. are in this movie. People who were involved in arresting them later, if they get caught, no spoilers on off script, are in this movie. Um, so it's intercut like a documentary, but with like film footage, like an actual film. Uh, it's very strange that way. The director, Bart Layton, previously did The Imposter, which is available on Netflix, which is actually a really cool movie if you haven't seen that. So he's kind of got a fancy for this. But American Animals came out in 2018. Everybody kind of missed it. We wanted to see it and never did. And now we've watched it for the show. Andy, what did you think of American Animals? I really love this movie. I was hooked uh, from the beginning. Uh, it's smart. It's funny. It and I love the way it's edited, where they have these these interviews with the real people as kind of the heist is is playing out, and you even have the real people cut into some of the scenes in non you know traditional f- filmmaking form, where they're part part of the scenes with the their kind of younger versions. Um, but I really dug it on, on two levels. First of all, the heist is, is really exciting and really it, it makes your heart pound because, you know, it, it's not like an Ocean's Eleven where everything's perfect and they have all these gadgets and these endless resources. Like they're four moronic college students and they have to deal with real logistical issues like 
you know, we, we have to inca- incapacitate the librarian. We have to get away. We, we don't have keys to break. We can't break in at night. We have to do this during the day. So just like the real world logistics make this ve- just really exciting. And the fact that, you know, they're looking at, at real kind of jail time if they, if they get caught. The yeah. Other, <laughs> Go ahead. The other part of this film that I like is that it's not so much about the heist as much as, as it's about this kind of... Uh, disenchanted youth who they're looking for something for their lives to start. They've all graduated high school and they're going to college because they're supposed to, but like they're bored and they're like, well, I'm just taking these accounting classes and then I'm going to be an accountant. And then one day, so they're all looking for this, like what they refer to as a transformative experience, like this big adventure, this big thing, or this something that's going to happen in their lives to give it meaning and to really be, be something because they're just, you know, they're bo- they're suburban kids who are just bored out of their mind. And so they, they come up with this heist and it gives them this kind of sense of purpose and excitement and kind of brotherhood as well. And so like, that's a heavy, heavy theme um, throughout the film, which is more interesting than the heist, um, as well as this idea of memory, because they all kind of remember the events a little bit differently and everyone points the finger at everyone else mostly, it, it, which is also really great. Yeah, uh, this movie does a lot right, and it's cut in a way that's new and different and fresh, this kind of interspersing of reality and fiction, um, really, like, pulls back the curtain, and you really have, like, these fourth wall moments of people just talking straight at the camera, hey, here's what happened, here's what I did, and then you see Evan Peters or Barry Keown do that, uh, it's, it's really something else, and I've never seen a movie quite like it, so we should probably talk about kind of the general structure of the movie before we jump into... I don't know, overarching themes and presentation. Uh, Our four characters, well, really, what starts is our two characters, are pulling off uh, the beginnings of a heist, right? And they they go to Blockbuster, because it's 2004, and they rent all the heist movies they can think of, and they get on the internet, and they Google how to to plan a heist. And, and (laughs) yeah, there's this really this fun sense of, like, learning and engagement and growth, and, and, and you can see the characters actually having fun doing it. It's a fun little side project, right? Like, and that's all it starts as, this harmless little, like, hey, if we were going to steal something from the library, how would we do it, right? That's all that is. Um, and that starts to blossom into more. Yeah, it, 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 the um, plot kind of... Um, the One of the main characters, Spencer Reinhardt, uh, he is looking for the moment when this is going to stop, when they're going to find, oh, you know, we can't overcome this obstacle, and so, you know, there's no way we can do it. And then, but that never really comes. He, he keeps hoping something's going to stop them, and they realize, oh, we, nothing is. Uh, this could maybe actually be done. And and it's interesting because uh, both uh, Warren Lipka, who's kind of the ringleader, uh, but he, do- he doesn't claim to be that. They kind of egg on each other. You know, they blame each other. Well, it was his idea. Well, he wanted me to say it, uh, this kind of thing. But again, th- this all stems from kind of looking for more than they're getting out of life. And and I'm, I'm really... It really takes a dive when, when things just keep kind of going right for them in the worst way, because obviously... They're not doing the right thing. They're doing the wrong thing. But yeah, you're right. Things just keep kind of falling into place. Oh, I found a guy that would buy the books. Oh, he knows a guy that will take them. Oh, I know somebody that will line this up. Oh, we need a getaway driver. I know this guy who can get fast car. Like everything just kind of falls into place. And and the further they go in, the more they start to kind of forget like, oh, hey, we're doing something bad. We're doing something wrong here. They, they really embrace this very pie in the sky ideology of like, we're, we're, we're students that are about to find themselves, right? We're about to do something great that's really going to define who we are. 
Um, then you get down to actual like heist day and it's like, oh no, this, this actually may not be a great idea. This actually (laughs) might have been a terrible idea. Yeah, it, it, it's like, uh, you know, new recruits on the first day of battle. Everyone's um, not doing so hot. And, and they also, they realize too late that they're going to have to do something kind of terrible because there there is a person standing between them and their their book. And, you know, it's not the movies. You can't, you don't just conk them on the head and they, they just, they're out of the way. Like it's, you got to r- really restrain some people if, if you're going to, you know, kind of incapacitate them or not have them be a problem. And so that, that becomes, that's a kind of an ominous lingering issue that no one really wants to address. And then Warren, Warren just says, Oh, I'll, I'll do it. Don't you worry about it. I'll take care of it. And and there's a great sequence um, where they have, have kind of a dream sequence that, where they, where they kind of pull off an ocean's 11 style uh, heist where they all just stroll into the, the library and they all do these cool, very swift moves and everything goes smoothly and they waltz right out. And then of course that's not how how it goes at at all yeah and and as as they just kind of descend further into into like i I don't want to say madness because it really does it's framed as idealism right these kids are like this is going to be great it's going to be fun and we're going to have a good time and we're going to be like the characters in the movies reservoir dogs is heavily referenced in this movie like you you kind of go for the ride with them right and then by the time you get to the end you're you're very very starkly reminded not only by what happens in the film but also like the cuts back to reality of the real people who did this that like no not all that glitters is gold this was not a great idea this is actually kind of a terrible idea and and we committed to it and it's the way it's going to be there's some real real stark consequences that come with all of that and it it kind of makes for a movie that it's, I don't know. It's real thought provoking. It leaves you twirling it's, your mustache. Like, wh- wh- <laughs> what, what's it all for? Where did this all go? Yeah, you know, it, it's very much like, a, like I've said, it's about this this disenchanted youth, and kind of what what the message we get by the end is, you know, no no adventure is worth what we did or what we had to do, you know, to, to try and and pull this off. And they they are deeply regretful of the of what happened and you know it definitely ruined all the all the, all their lives um but at the same time you, you can see and and a lot of people will probably relate to this just you know wanting to break the monotony wanting to have like a sense of purpose you know because they did things like they, they drove 12 hours to new york and paid some guy 500 dollars to meet another guy to get an email to you know locate the fence um kind of thing so there was and and through that there you know there was bonding there was there was friendships there was uh you know this connection, this desire for family. Because at the beginning of the film, you see uh, Spencer Reinhardt um, trying to join a frat and he looks so miserable and out of place. Like he's just like, he, he doesn't want to be there. He's not a frat bro. Like he's a quiet, small artist. He, you know, he's not a binge drinking. Like that's not him. And he feels like they're all looking for that kind of sense of belonging. Yeah. And, and you know, they, they find that in each other. It's charming that way. Like any kind of movie about, uh, groups or brotherhood or sisterhood would be. Um, now we do need to talk about <laughs> the stark reality. Uh, unfortunately, it is difficult for you to, at least for me, to really get invested in the plot when it keeps cutting back to real people from like two years ago when they filmed this movie. And it's like, oh, hey, here's here's the people this actually happened to this many years later. And like, obviously they're okay. Obviously they're talking, they're doing their thing. But there's this like there's this overwhelming feeling of like, it's not going to go their way. 
And and you can feel that because like if it went their way and they pulled off the heist perfectly, how would the filmmakers have found them? Yeah, we we like, wouldn't d- know who they are. Right, like they would have just been like like DB Sweeney or something like Ships in the Night, like or DB Cooper. Uh, like we never would have known. And and instead we have them, and and they seem like fine people, but it's I don't know. It was a little distracting for me, but in a very positive, engaging way that was different from just watching a normal heist movie. Right? How did you feel about that? I didn't mind it so much, and I mean, you know, just from the kind of the premise that things are going to go wrong. Like they're they're four idiotic college kids who are all like, "Well, I'm smarter than everyone. I don't even I shouldn't be taking these classes." Like they're very kind of stuck on their own uh, abilities. Um, and 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 again, once they start thinking through the logistics of trying to pull off this this heist which they clearly don't do you know they, they realize like life is not oceans 11 things aren't going to go perfectly smooth and you're not brad pitt or george clooney you're not going to waltz out at the library with a 12 million dollar book <laughs> yeah god uh we should talk about the presentation uh, outside of just kind of the cuts back and forth um just to speak to those very briefly the documentary stuff feels perfectly documentary well framed well lit it is like something a professional documentary crew would shoot the film stuff feels perfectly film it's 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 very loose it's it's it feels good it reminded me a little bit of something like david fincher everything's on a tripod everything's locked down uh, except for when they're like parting or getting nuts and you get some handheld but cinematography was strong lighting was good everything felt warm and there's this this cool running theme of of well, we should get to running themes in a minute. And did anything about the presentation of this movie really jump out at you? I, I mean, I, I I really enjoyed how it was filmed, and I, and I liked the jumping back and forth between the real people and the you know the actors playing them. Uh, I also really enjoyed the the soundtrack. It was good choice of, of songs, really set the mood. And there's this is in the trailer. There's a whole thing about costuming where they're going to rob this thing as old men, and that's. Uh, again, they were very serious. They they had plans, and you know they had their the heist planned out, and the getaway planned out, and they had their costumes, and clearly too much time and money <laughs> and money on their hands. Yeah, and and that leads to what is a very fun adventure to watch, but ultimately like some some uh, sizable mistakes, I think. But man, uh, this movie also speaks a lot towards like I was going to say themes, um, family. Uh, that's very relevant in, in one of our boys' cases and struggles with a, a, a divorced, uh, newly divorced parents. Uh, education, what you're learning, and, and, and direction in life, where you're going. What's it all for, right? Um, you know, these kids talk about, did, did you ever feel like something something big was supposed to happen in your life, some big event that was going to define who you are? When's that going to happen? Well, maybe we have to make that happen. Maybe that has to be this thing. You know, they, they, they really idolize this big heist as much more than it was probably ever should have become. But in a way, you can connect with their, like, immature, you know, youth approach to things. Yeah, and, and like, you know, it would be easy for somebody to say, oh, woe is me, these, uh, you know upper middle class uh white kids are so you know aimless and lonely and it's like but i mean that's that's a large part of of the demographic and that that is a real issue of kind of sense of purpose existentialism essentially yeah (laughs) and it all adds up the soundtrack is a lot of indie but i really didn't mind it overall the movie's not too long at about two hours I think there's a lot of good stuff. And I love a good heist movie, man. I'm always going to be be prone to something like a good heist movie. So Yeah, it, it definitely, I think the, it was one of the, it gave me anxiety. Like the, the heist is so heart pounding. Beca- I think because it's real and because the, they 
you know, they run into, it's just like everyday things. Like when they're trying to make a getaway and there's a door locked that wasn't supposed to be locked, you know, it's, it's these kinds of, um, in uh, things that aren't inconveniences that never happen in real heist films. But when you think about just the logistics of trying to do an actual heist, there's, there's a million things stopping you. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, uh, any other thoughts on, on American animals? I think I'm ready to wrap up. Man, I wish more people had seen this movie. I am too. Andy, would you recommend American Animals? Absolutely. Like, I was really surprised. I, I love the premise and I like the look. We have great performances. Uh, we have a, a, a really surprisingly intense, heart-pounding heist film, but also the, this commentary on, on disenchanted, dis, uh, not disenfranchised, disenchanted youth um, with a great soundtrack. And uh, it's a lot of fun as, as well as like, you're like, man, this is, it's a cautionary tale. Yeah, it is. And and like you said, it is a lot of fun. Man, you could do so much worse cruising the internet for something to watch than American Animals. This movie is a lot of fun. It's a good heist flick. There's there's definitely some good acting in it. I, I love the characters. I love the cuts back and forth. And I love the touch of realism that really makes it feel so much deeper than I think it would have had it just been a traditional Hollywood film. Um, thumbs up. On, on American Animals. It's on HBO. Go check it out. Seriously, I think you'll be into it. I, if you if you made it this far for the podcast, I think you personally, yes, you, will like it. So, yeah, that's our show. Oh, my God, Andy, we got through Oscar noms. We got through two movies. We talked about news. What a, what a whirlwind, huh? That's right. How did we do it? <laughs> uh, next week on the show, we're going to be watching. Okay, hold on. We didn't talk about this before we got on the <laughs> We air. need to figure out. We, we have Perfect. some options here. I got a big pick here, and I know I know Andy doesn't want to see it because he didn't put it on the list. <laughs> uh, the options are Bad Boys for Life. Yes, Bad Boys 3, starring uh, Will Smith and a fat suit. American Factory, the Netflix documentary. Uh, the Two Popes on Netflix. A lot of big Oscar noms for them. And let's not forget the Disney film. Doolittle. <laughs> yes, Doolittle, starring Robert Downey Jr. I'll tell you why I want to see this, Andy. Two reasons. One, because my wonderful wife, Christine, wants to see it, and I want to go see anything she wants to see, because she's amazing. And two, because you know what? Nobody's talking about it. Nobody's talking about it on the internet, and there may be a good reason for that, but I don't know why, and I'm curious. So I am going to go see that movie regardless. If you want to watch one of these Netflix films, let's do it. I don't care. I'm down. But if you if you, if you you want to watch Bad Boys or something, I'll do whatever, man. It, it's up to you. All right, so I think we can scratch uh, Bad Boys for Life. Uh, it doesn't look particularly great, and I'm not really into the the franchise, and I haven't I haven't seen the other two in in ages, so I, I couldn't really tell you what they're about or any of that. And again, it seems like one of these sequels that's about ten years too late, if not longer. So uh, you know what? I'm going to be down for Doolittle and now <laughs> and then something else on uh, on Netflix. Perfect. Uh, 2020, the year Zach makes Andy go see movies for a change. Great. Uh, what do you want to go with? Uh, we've got Doolittle, which is a children's film. We got a documentary or a very serious adult film. You got to pick. Um, I'm one. I'm leaning towards the two popes. Okay, me too. Let's do that. Let's do the two popes and Doolittle next week on the show. The two popes, <laughs> the Netflix original film starring Jonathan Price and Anthony Hopkins, which is nominated for multiple Academy Awards, and Doolittle. It's going to be a show. I'm going to love it. If you enjoyed what we did here today, email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Good God. And let us know what you thought of the show. We read correspondence on the air. And you know we do because of how much we get. And we devote a whole segment to it every week. So we're happy to devote one to you. Uh, we will read whatever you write us, I promise, barring profanity. Even that at this point, I'd probably read. Hit us up <laughs> on social media. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. We're doing stuff. We're around. You know, we do YouTube. That's pretty neat. 
I've started sharing the show more. That's kind of cool. I enjoy doing that. And people people have said they're listening, Andy. They've said they're listening. I, I hope they are. I doubt they made it this far into the episode, but I've if you been, did. <laughs> I've been pushing. I push it on people all the time. It's true. Yeah, I work and play and anywhere I go, I tell people off script, we need t-shirts. That's what we need. 2020 t-shirts. Sign mm-hmm. us up. Wrap, wrap it up. Get the boys in the lab working on it. From all of us at Offscript, the home of Bolt Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.